the word of God will last forever. The truth upon its pages always will remain. The word of God will never fail you. Its timelessness is sure and it always will endure. The word of God is a light unto my path. Though the strongest men will fail, God's word will last. And though nations rise and fall, God's word outlives them all. It will stand the test of time, for its author is divine. And I will proudly call it mine, the word of God. Satan tries to stamp it out. Or to change it all about But like a mighty fortress It stands the battle's rage The laws of earth may crumble Or change with fallen man But with each change God's word remains While kingdoms fade away The word of God Is a light unto my path Though the strongest men will fail God's word will last. Though nations rise and fall, God's word outlives them all. It will stand the test of time, for its author is divine. And I will proudly call it mine, the word of God. And though nations rise and fall, God's word outlives them all. It will stand the test of time, for its author is divine. So I will proudly call it mine, the word of God. And thank God for his precious word that does stand the test of time. Because its author is divine. Thank God that we have something solid upon which to build our lives. Hey, it's good to see you out on, uh, tonight on this uh, cheery Virginia day. Um, uh, basically all day, just sunshine, just like it is every day here in Virginia. Just some of it liquid was all. But a really a great day, and uh, I'm glad that you're here tonight. We're looking forward to our time together. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. If you have your copies of the scripture, turn with me please to the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to look at chapter 8. And while you are finding your places, all those kiddos ages four years old or closely thereabouts up through third grade or closely thereabouts, by your leave, mom and dad can be dismissed out the back with Miss Brittany where they'll head over to their own special class time. Four years old or close, up to third grade or close. They'll go out there with Miss Brittany. And after the service, then um, they'll come back and meet you, or else you can go and get them. And if no parents claim, after 15 minutes, they go on sale to the highest bidder. So just uh, be aware aware of of what the problem is if you leave them there, all right? All right, hey, real quickly, while while you're finishing finding your place there in Nehemiah, let me mention something that has been helped in our family and uh, maybe it can be in yours, or if you're a grandparent, uh, maybe this could be helpful to your grandchildren. This is a DVD uh, entitled Scripture Talk, and it is a way for young people to memorize Scripture. Basically, what it is is there are a series of passages, about 10 passages, and they're fairly lengthy. For instance, all of 1 Corinthians 13, um, all of Psalm 1, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, um, Romans 8, 31 through 39, Philippians 2, 2 through 11. So a number of verses, basically each, each section, each passage that is being memorized is quoted by children on this. And it's done in a way to help the kiddos remember. So with actions that go with it and uh, they get to do it, that is your children can do it along with um, the children who are doing it here. And um, this, is, this is a DVD that is really good if you use it. It's one of those deals where it's not like, um, it's admittedly not like watching Tom and Jerry. 
Um, it's, not, it's not that, but it is very useful. In our family, the way it gets used is Samuel, our second um, son, six years old, is in kindergarten, and we use it as his Bible class. Since we don't have necessarily a DVD Bible curriculum that he uses, we'll use this oftentimes where in the morning we'll take a passage of Scripture and he'll work on memorizing it, and then there's a lesson taught with each of these passages. Now, I will tell you, this is, this is true about me. I don't like things that are hokey. Like um, when things are done well, I really like them. When they're not done well, I... Um, I'm not a big fan. I know everybody can only do what they have to do with, and I'm all for everyone doing whatever you can do with what you have. I'm for that. But if I'm going to buy it and use it, then it needs to be well done. And this is something that is really, really well done, which is why I'm not ashamed to say, hey, I, I would consider this if I were you. So if you have kiddos that are between the ages of 3 and 11, 12 years of age, or if you have grandchildren who are that age and either you would use it or your grandchildren would use it, or your children would use it with your grandchildren, that this is, this is well worth your having and a good way to get Scripture into the mind. And then the lesson is taught so that it digs into, delves into the heart and explains some things in a way that's just really, really, really well done. So if you have questions about that, then you can see Seth um, after the service and he'll be able to help you with it. All right, we're going to look together tonight at Nehemiah chapter number 8. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 1 in just a moment. And this is a message that is very, very important in regards to the week of revival meetings, specifically here, but for those who are visiting from other churches here tonight, this will be helpful for you and your church as well. Nehemiah chapter number 8 records for us the story of a service that takes place in Jerusalem amongst the people of God And it was a special service where it is obvious that the hand of God began to work in a special way. And the people who, while they were God's people in the sense they were Jews, were not following God's way in their life. Now, um, when it comes to revival, revival is a getting back to God's way of living so that God can then enable or bless us to do what it is that he's called us to do. Let me just repeat it real quickly because revival can be hijacked by a lot of things that are not revival or definitions that are not truly revival. Revival is when God's people get back to God's way of living and then in response, God then enables or blesses in such a way so that we can, with his power, do the things that he's called us to do Um, in a number of areas, namely Um, Think of overcoming sin. Well, we need God's power to be able to do that. So when we get back to God's way of living, then he enables us, gives us his grace so that we can do that. Or to be able to share his word, to win people to Christ. Well, we need God's power for that. And so in order to have God's power for that, we need his presence, his help. And that happens when we come back to God's way of thinking and living. And God enables. He gives us his grace to do those things which he's called us to do. So in Nehemiah chapter 8, we have recorded for us a revival service where God steps in. Now, there are very few services where I, when I stand to preach where I have not either privately before or else in the service publicly take a few moments to ask God to do something special in the midst of the people that I'm privileged to preach to. And here's the reason why I ask this. And this is, not, this is not for the sake of this is what you expect to hear when you uh, are listening to an evangelist preach or when you come to church. This is honestly the reason why. Because I am convinced that God's presence changes everything. God's presence in a family changes a family. God's presence in an individual's life changes that individual's life. God's presence in a church changes everything. That is, when God steps in and begins to stir the hearts of people, then those who are weak, i.e. Peter, are able to stand and declare the oracles, the truths of God's word, and 3,000 people can come to faith in Christ. But that wasn't just something for Peter, that's something available to us as well, where when we have God's presence, his aid, his help to us, then all of a sudden things that we can in our own strength could, could only dream of doing, God gives us the power to do things that have eternal consequences. So that's why when I read Nehemiah chapter 8 and I read a service where God steps in in a special way as an evangelist and as a preacher, I think to myself, okay, I want to know what it was that happened in order to allow this to take place. 
Um, was, it a, uh, was it a random act of God? In other words, is this just a sovereign God? When God steps into this service or in any service, is this just a sovereign act of a sovereign God who in his own time decided that this was when he was going to move? Or were there some things that the people involved here uh, took care of, some ground that was tilled up, or some preparation made in order for this to take place? Well, let me stop and say that God is the sovereign of revival. In that, it is God that must work. It is not something that we can coerce or make up. We we can, and we'll get into this in just a minute, we can can cause our emotions to rise or fall. Drink enough coffee, that'll take care of that. We, we can cause our emotions to rise or fall. That may be true. If I stood up and if I was gifted in this way, I'm not, but if I were, if I was gifted to tell stories so as to raise you on a high and then bring you down to a low and raise you to a high, bring you to a low, and then tell you to go out and do something, I may be able to, by telling proper stories, get you worked up or riled up so that you feel like, for at least for a moment, that you can do great things and you'll even do it for a good reason in the name of the Lord, but... It is God that must do an eternal work in us so that we can work effectively for him if that work is going to be done. So it is true that God is a sovereign of revival. Let me tell you something. According to everything I can read in Scripture, there is a promise from this sovereign God that if there are some things that we will prepare for and take care of, then we can also expect in return for God to do some things that he says that he will. So when I read a verse, or when I read a passage like we're about to read in a moment here in Nehemiah 8, I go, okay, I want to know what. Because what we're about to read is the exact kind of service that I want to see take place. Every time I preach, I want to see God move. Every time I'm privileged to share God's word, I want to sense and know that he is there and he is working and he is doing something special. Hey, real quickly, now, admittedly, this is a little bit of an amen statement. That is, I'm asking a question to which I expect that you'll agree, though I do want you to be honest about it and be truthful. But would you like to see God work in your church? I mean, sincerely, wouldn't it be great if you lived with such expectancy that when you met together for services that God was going to do something special, wouldn't it be great if you had that much expectancy so that you just, you just knew that if you could get your friend, your neighbor, your coworker to come with you who needs the Lord Jesus, you were convinced that they would hear from the Lord. Even if they didn't respond to it, they would hear and be convinced because God is at work in your church. Or if you could just get your nephew or your grandchild or your son or your daughter to come back to church, you just knew that they would, be, they would fall in love with God again, and you just expect it. I mean, wouldn't it be great to come into services expecting that? Okay, well, that's very much where I want to live. I have no desire, none, zero, zilch, zippo, I don't know any other languages, but that's it. I have no desire to travel around from church to church Gaining enough money in order to go to the next church, to get enough money to go to the next church, to get enough money to go to the next church. What kind of life is that? We want to see God do something. So let me read for you the account here in Nehemiah chapter 8 of a service that takes place, and then I want us to look at what led up to it so that we can follow the example given to us here. Chapter 8, verse number 1 The Bible says this, and all the people, this is in Jerusalem, gathered themselves together as one man into a street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. So this is men and women and those that were old enough to get it, children that were old enough to get it. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until the midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. 
And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. Now in your brain when you see this, don't think pulpit like we commonly call it. It was a, a platform. So he stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him stood, and then there's a number of men mentioned and I would destroy their names. So I'm going to skip them. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people on that platform. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Cherubiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatai, Hadijah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, that is, he's the governor, and Ezra the priest, uh, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, Hey, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we look at this, at this historical account, of this service where you moved in the hearts of the people to the point where you brought them to weeping over what they had missed. Father, I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would cause each of our hearts to be attentive unto the law as you said they were and as you have given it to us. Dear God, help us to get it. Please turn on the light and convince us. And then, Holy Spirit of God, I ask you to do that which only you can do. All is vain unless you come and move. Father, please move in our hearts in a special way. Meet with us, I ask, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for your glory and for the eternal kingdom. Amen. So what a great story about a great service that takes place. My observations just in reading through the historical account of this service were obviously um, there were a number of people that were there and they had made some preparation. So they built this platform and Nehemiah and, and, uh, and uh, I got to get his name, Ezra, the priest, and then a number of Levites all gathered together up on this platform. And the Bible says that they began to teach the people and the response of the people was that when they heard the words of the law that they wept. That is, that they came under conviction about what they had not been doing. Now, let me just stop here real quickly and say this. When the Bible talks about their response to the explanation of the word of God, the response is not the point. We so easily and so quickly fall into the trap of thinking to ourselves that um, doing right, following God, always only involves one emotion or one way of doing it. In other words, we think to ourselves, okay, what we need today is more weeping. Well, Admittedly, there may be a time for weeping when we're confronted with how we have not followed the way or the word of the Lord or when we consider the people around us who are in trouble. There may be a call or a cause for weeping. But what is important here is more the fact that there was a response to the word of God. In fact, when I began to look around this passage to find out, okay, was this a sovereign act of God or was there something that led up to this? And is that something that is repeatable? Is it something that we can do so that we could expect to see Nehemiah 8 services take place in our lifetime and in our churches that I'm privileged to preach in? And when I began to look around, the very first thing that caught my attention was verse number 8. Look, look down in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 8. And I want to I quote it for you. And then I want you to tell me what the quotation of that verse sounds like a definition to So you're going to give me the word that comes to your mind when I read or when I quote verse number 8 to you um, as if it were a definition. The Bible says, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. Okay, now what does that sound like to you? You can say it out loud, it's fine. Okay, that's what I would say. It sounds, I mean, there's, there's no better definition in my, in my estimation of preaching of, rather than, um, they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. In other words, they read the Bible so that you could understand it, and then they gave the sense. They made sense of it. They explained what it was that the Bible was saying. And that is, without a doubt, what preaching is supposed to be. Now, let me just say this briefly, and I don't think with this group here tonight I need to spend a lot of time, and so I'm not going to for sake of time. But I will tell you this, and this is important. 
that you cannot have Nehemiah 8 services and you cannot have God move in the hearts of men and do an eternal work in the hearts of men outside of the preaching of God's word. That is the giving of what God has said. And this is not a lifting up of the people who stand and do it. That's just simply a calling of God on our lives. That's what God has called us to do. We're no better, no worse. It's not, that's not the point. The point is, is that, it, that it is the preaching of the word of God that changes lives. Now, the reason why this is a big deal is two reasons that come to my mind. Firstly, because I want each of us here to be fully convinced of the importance of preaching so that we're not easily pulled into a ministry style or a ministry, a church, where preaching is put down and everything else is what is hyped up and given. Now, I'm not, I'm trying to say this in such a way so as not to just preach to the choir and get amens a from it, but I'm thinking specifically of those who are younger who are soon going to be choosing for yourselves if you follow God, one, and then how that's going to take place. And I want you to be convinced from the Bible, not from me, but from the Bible, not from your pastor, but from the Bible, that God has placed his hand of blessing on the preaching of the word of God. So to get involved in a ministry where the preaching of the word of God is not one of the primary things. Yes, we come and worship. Yes, we come and give. Yes, we come and fellowship. But when we gather together, if we want to see God stir in the hearts of men, those who are lost coming to Christ, those who are away from the Lord coming back, then there must be emphasis given to the preaching of the word of God. So be convinced in your heart of it. Let I mean, at least consider the fact that this is what God says, and if you reject this, then you reject what God has said. Now, the second reason why I think it's important is because it's two parts. Because of what preaching is. Preaching is the giving of the Word of God and the explaining of it. And we have a number of preachers that are here tonight, and there are a number of people who teach in Sunday school that are here tonight. Let me just give a quick challenge to you, and that is, hey, make sure you give what God says. Not not standing on what we oftentimes refer to as a soapbox where I come out to say what I want to say and I'll take hold of the scriptures in order to make it say what I want to. But for those of us who are preachers, hey, we have to make sure we're, we're saying what God says and what he intends to be said with it. Now, the second half of this part of what preaching is is because preaching not only involves a declaration but preaching involves a listening ear and a ready heart to receive. And this is where all of us come in. Now, please, please don't tune me out right now. I know you may be thinking to yourself, Brother Tim, this is too basic. Give me something new. Give me something fresh, and I'll be able to listen. And I'm telling you that you, what we desire to see is what happened in Nehemiah chapter number 8. And you cannot have Nehemiah chapter number 8 without the preaching of the word of God taking place, which involves my having a hearing ear and a ready heart. So that, yes, I come into church ready to receive. But I'm just talking about, on a practical level, doing wise things so that the Word of God can have the impact in me that it needs to have. Talking about, if, if you sincerely and seriously want to see God work, making the choices and counting the cost of what it means to experience Nehemiah chapter 8. I think what happens in our lives too easily, especially in our culture, is that in our brains, when we're at church and a preacher stands up and says, we've got to have the preaching of the word of God to have Nehemiah chapter 8 services, we are all programmed to say, amen, that's right. But in reality, now please hear me kindly. I don't, I don't mean this from a condescending way. Certainly, God knows I have to work on this myself, and I'm a preacher. We don't even consider the importance of preaching until we step through the, the doors of the church, and then we go, oh, yeah, that's right. Almost, there's going to be preaching. Here, here's, here's what I mean. Well, let me, let me say it this way. Let me do, it, do this in extremes. I'll say this in an extreme. If I were the devil, no amens there, please. If I were the devil, 
and I as the devil knew the value of preaching. And I knew that there were a group of people who lived in the Bible Belt of the United States who were going to go to church because that's what grandpa did and dad did. And they're believers, and they're going to go to church. And I knew I wasn't going to stop them from that. Then if I were the devil, what I would do is I would devise a plan whereby I could do anything and everything within my power to allow the preaching of God's word to not have any kind of lasting effect. I would encourage them to come in. I mean, I'd do anything I could. Don't, please don't get upset with me. I would do anything I could to make sure they stayed up as late as possible on Saturday night. And then I would program them to the instant church was done have something else that gained value in their lives to the point where the seed of the word of God just lies there and then is taken by the birds and it, it means nothing. I mean, I would even go to the extent of, I would even go to the extent of making a, uh, oh, I don't know, a league where on Sunday afternoons, as soon as everything was finished, every, everybody's brain went to something that's fun and fine but frivolous and certainly doesn't hold the value. Okay, before you throw anything, the songbook's included. Please, now, please, 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 don't, if you walk out of here, if you walk out of here, um, with a rule and law in your heart saying, thus saith the Lord, we're not supposed to watch football on Sunday afternoon. That's pharisaical. That's not the point. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I better be pretty careful. If I want to see Nehemiah 8 services, well, I can want till the cows come home, but it's not going to happen unless I take the steps that God lays out. And one of those is to give value to the importance of the preaching of the word of God, which involves my hearing it with a receptive and an alert ear to the best of my ability and a heart that's ready to respond. I mean this honestly. Does this thus far make sense? And you know that I'm not like, I'm, I have, I, I, it adds nothing to me to try to twist your arms to do something when I leave. You understand that, right? What I'm desirous of on your behalf for us is that we are convinced of what the scriptures have to say, and I'm convinced that the Bible teaches that if I'll give an importance to the preaching of the word of God, that it'll have impact and an eternal impact. You can't have Nehemiah eight services without the preaching of the word of God. And it's important. So then as we consider this, and as we leave in a few minutes, the question becomes, uh, for me, becomes, okay, is there something, if I value, if I value the work and, and, and word of God in my life, is there something that I need to set aside or something that I need to put aside in order to allow it to have its impact in me? I mean, just if you want it. Now, if you don't, if nothing ever changes, then nothing ever changes. But I'm telling you, we need God's word, and we need God's working, and we need the power and hand of God in our services. Okay, second thing. I was looking at the passage, and I thought, how did Nehemiah 8 happen? Well, the first thing is the preaching of the word of God. The second thing, I've got to walk through this quickly, is you have to go through Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, would you turn back there with me? You're in Nehemiah 8. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 1 and just, just consider this. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we begin to see what we know of Nehemiah. And here's, here's Nehemiah's uh, position. Here's where Nehemiah is. Nehemiah is um, what is called the cupbearer for a foreign king. He's a slave to a king by the name of Artaxerxes. He works in his winter palace, a place called Shushan, and he is the cupbearer. So he brings food and drink to the king, probably is the taste tester, make sure it's not poisoned. And he would also have been, if tradition is correct, a confidant of the king. He would have been an advisor to the king. So he had a pretty high position, but he was still a slave. And the Bible says that he has visitors, verse number two, Nehemiah is speaking. He says, one of my brethren came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them, um, how are the Jews back uh, that have escaped and concerning Jerusalem? And verse 3 says, And they said to me, 
the remnant, the people that are left of the captivity there in the province, back in Jerusalem, are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Okay, stop real quickly, and just, and just notice what he, news he receives from back home. That people are in great affliction, the walls are pushed over, gates are burned with fire. When Nehemiah hears this, what he hears is that there are a group of people back home who are still in Jerusalem, but they're not following God because God had promised them that if they would follow him, that he would see to it, that they would be well protected and that their their vines would always bring forth fruit and everything would go well. He would be their God and take care of them. But that's not what's happening. So when Nehemiah hears about the affliction going going on back home, immediately he knows that there is trouble between the people back home and God. And the Bible says that when he hears this, his response is interesting. Okay, now real quickly before we read the next verse, just to get an idea of what his response is, I cannot think of a more picturesque example or wording of the nation and in the community and in the time in which we live regarding the people around us who don't know the Lord, who are in themselves in great affliction, turmoil on the inside, desperately seeking for peace and searching every way they can think of to get to it. They'll try drugs, they'll try alcohol, they'll try success, they'll try um, immoral relationships, they'll try anything they can, entertainment, just to allow themselves to exist And there is this trouble and struggle that goes on the inside. And uh, there's just all kinds of turmoil. I mean, you want to talk about walls pushed over and gates burned with fire and being in great affliction. That is the time in which we live. And there are people who need God as desperately as the people of Jerusalem needed God. So when Nehemiah sees this, or hears it rather, in verse number 3, the Bible says, I'm sorry, verse number 4, it came to pass when I heard these words, I love... I love the instruction this gives us. That I, Nehemiah, sat down and wept, and I mourned certain days, and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. And then the rest of the passage is the prayer that Nehemiah prays where he asks for forgiveness for himself and for his fathers and for his people. And he comes before God and begins to beg God to forgive and ask God to do something that only God could do. All right, listen. You would expect this to hear... hear, you would expect to hear this in a revival message. But the reason why you would expect to hear it is because how true it is. Yes, there must be the preaching of the word of God, which involves my giving it some context and importance in my life and hearing it and putting it into practice. But before that service ever even begins, there was a man who saw the necessity of the hand and power of God for people that he desperately cared about. And his response was to get on his face before God and to fast and to pray and to beg God to do what only God could do. And for six months, Nehemiah prays and fasts and begs God to do something that only God could do. Folks, Some of you have grandchildren who need God. You have neighbors whose lives are coming apart or they have serious questions. They need to see God's power. They need to know what it is to experience the presence and convincing of God. They need a Nehemiah 8 service. They need to have you be a Nehemiah 8 Christian. But I'm telling you, Nehemiah 8 does not happen unless Nehemiah 1 takes place first. And unashamedly tonight, I I ask God to put his hand on the hearts of several in this auditorium who will commit themselves to going through Nehemiah 1 on behalf of the church to which you belong. Where you'll be someone who does, you, you, you will pray, you will seek God's face. Where you'll take time, where you'll even fast. Because we need to see God work. Look around, folks. There are people that need God. Do you, do you see this? 
But Nehemiah 8, the power of God doesn't take place unless Nehemiah 1 takes place first, where we come before God and we just begin to ask God and 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 ask God to do what only God can do and confess our sins. God, you're right. We're wrong. Man, we have some stuff that needs to get taken care of. But God, we need you. Please, my niece, my nephew, my grandchildren, they're they're in trouble, God, my neighbor, uh, my coworker, the people I go to school with, God, they're in trouble, God, please, we need you. I need to see the, your power. My children need to see your power. Please, God, do what only you can do. And Nehemiah 8 doesn't happen unless Nehemiah 1 takes place first. Now, let me just quickly tell you, because um, I've, I've run short on time. I love, I love what takes place next. Nehemiah, for six months, begs God about this. And after six months, the Bible says that he's working his job before the king. So he's, he's bringing the food into the king, and the king says to Nehemiah, um, the king says to Nehemiah, hey, Nehemiah, um, you don't look well. What, what's the problem? Okay, time out. If your taste tester doesn't look well, you want to know the reason why. So the king says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, what's the problem? And the Bible says that Nehemiah says to the king, well, back home, my pe- the people are uh, in great reproach. The walls are pushed over, gates are burned with fire. And uh, we're in trouble. I love, okay, think about this. The king says to his slave, to his slave, what do you want? And Nehemiah says, I need time off. I need a letter of safe passage. And I need to get a hold of some wood to rebuild the gates back home. And the king says, you got it. Okay, now friends, look. The king's heart is still in the hand of the Lord. And as rivers of water, he moves it whithersoever he will. You can sit and lament how we cannot get in the public school system all you want to, but I'm telling you there's a God who can open up doors that no man can shut. And it's possible still today for God to do great and mighty things. The White House does not stop God from being able to have his way in the hearts of men. It is true that the way we do things, that is, our methods may change a little bit with the times. Yes, that is true. The methods may have to change. But I'm telling you, God can open up doors. God is not stuck in 1980. He's a God that transcends time. And he can do through us whatever he wills so that all that lacks is Nehemiah 1, and then God opens up doors. And then, basically, in order to get to Nehemiah 8, you've got to go through Nehemiah chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. No worries. It's all summarized into one four-letter word that starts with W and ends with K. Anybody want to take a guess at what it is? It's what it is. W-O-R-K, work. And that is what happens. Nehemiah gets permission, goes to Jerusalem, rides around, calls the men, says, hey, This is what God has done for us. We're going to rebuild this wall. And uh, the men, the Bible says the people had a mind to work. Now, admittedly, there were problems with the work. I mean, there were were people that stood against the work, right? It wasn't like like, um, God picked up the stones and set them in order. People had to bloody their knuckles to do it. You understand that, right? And the same thing is true when it comes to the work of the Lord. I'm not talking about playing bloody knuckles. I'm talking about... Um, when we ask the Lord to do something special and God opens up a door, that as he opens up that door, then, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be W-O-R-K involved. And I mean work. You say, Brother Tim, you mean laboring in prayer. I say, no, laboring in labor. I mean getting after whatever it is. Well, again, respectfully, I'm looking around and I see a number of gray hair, no hair people. So you could be tempted to say, well, that's for the younger generation. And I will confess that I agree that the younger generation ought to carry the weight of it. But let me tell you, it is true that you may not be able to do what you did 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago in some cases. That's how I feel. I ran today. (laughs) But um, you can still be involved. And, And we ought to be. And you may be 16 here tonight, 14, 18, 21. Regardless of your age, intellect, social standing, or financial situation, if we want to see Nehemiah 8 services, then what takes place before Nehemiah 8 is that the people had a mind to work. There were people that caused problems. There were people on the outside. You remember, you know the name Sam Ballot and Tobiah? It just sounds like organ music ought to play along with it. You know, Sam Ballot and Tobiah, womp, womp, womp. 
And these people made fun of and did everything they could to mock and did everything they could to stand against the work of God. And you know what Nehemiah did? He hired the best lawyers in town. And he sued, though, that's not what he did. What Nehemiah did was he said, I mean, he put on a sword. He wasn't, he wasn't foolish. He put on a sword, and then he said, Father, God, do you see these guys? They're causing problems. Will you please take care of them so that I can keep doing the work that you've called me to do? Instead of losing sight of what was truly eternally valuable, he put it in God's hands, in God's, in God's court. And, and, and oftentimes, I think, work of God can be set aside because we begin to get so enamored, uh, we get so involved in all of the difficulties that stand against the work that we give our efforts to trying to get rid of all those and we forget what we're doing in the first place. So um, there was... There was uh, people standing without, there were people on the inside. The Bible says that some of the nobles didn't put their necks to the work, and God can take care of that as well. But the point was, is that the people who wanted to see God work got together, and they were involved in uh, jumping on board with what was happening. Now, quickly, just to end practically, let me just give you, with this work, four things, and I'm just going to walk through them. W-O-R-K. We use the word work as an acrostic. In this work, W, when God, when, when some of you begin to pray and God opens up a door, then for those of you who are involved in the work, W, watch out for weariness. Don't be weary in well-doing. In due season, you'll reap if you faint not. The way, the way to get away from weariness is for everyone to work together. Um, finish this statement, all ye who had mothers. Um, many hands make... Have you heard this? Many hands make light work. In other words, if everybody does the dishes, then mom doesn't have to. I think that's what that means. Or something like, if everyone helps clean the house, it takes a lot less time. So many hands make light work. So watch out for weariness by, by working together. And take, take time to rest. I'm not saying, you, I'm not talking about burning yourself out. But watch out for weariness. Oh, overlook the faults of others. Whoa. Overlook the faults of others. That is, everybody has different personalities. True? How many of you are aware of the fact, it's not arrogance, how many of you are aware, are aware of the fact that you have strengths in your personality? There's things that you're good at. It's not, it's not arrogant to say that, sure. How many of you are aware that the person seated beside you has weaknesses in their personality? Okay. It's a lot more fun, isn't it? Sometimes there's a great work that needs to be done in the church, and God opens up the door. But the reason why it doesn't go on is because there's conflict not based on sin that needs to be dealt with, but upon personalities. I feel sorry for anybody who is organized, plans out things, who has to work with me. I think to myself, why plan anything? Your child's probably just going to change it at the last minute anyway. So, okay, sirrah, sirrah, what will be, will be. And some of you are cringing right now at the very thought of anything like that being the case. Okay, so, so I get that. So don't allow that. I mean, if we, if we are kindly towards each other and, and defer, and then God's given leadership to the church. He's given the pastor so, so that people can be set in the place where they're going to best serve. And don't, what I'm saying is don't go, well, I can't work with a person that does things like that. <laughs> Overlook the faults of others. For what it's worth, you have issues too. R, remember the reason. Remember the reason. In other words, remember why we're doing this. Man, if it weren't for these stinking kids, I could keep these floors clean. Well, these stinking kids are the reason why this building is here in the first place. Don't, don't, don't. Don't fall so in love with the responsibility that you have in pulling on the rope that you love it more than the Lord and the reason for which he's put you here and the help you're supposed to be. So remember the reason. So W, watch out for weariness. O, overlook the faults of others. R, remember the reason. And then lastly, K, never quit. In Tennessee, they don't even laugh. They're like, oh, yeah, never quit. Never, K-N-E-V-E-R, never. Hey, if it works for knife, it works for never. Quit, K-W-I-T. Come on, phonetics, it works, guys. All right, 
And the point is, I mean, it's silly, of course, but the point is just keep at it. I'm not talking about not taking time to, to rest. I'm not talking about not going on vacation. Uh, I'm not talking about even being aware of where your, where your abilities lie so that you don't pass on a class or whatever. Okay. But don't go, ha-ha, I'm done. There's a reason for this. There are souls that are in trouble. There are people that need to see the power of God. I want to see Nehemiah 8 services take bad and uh, take place in a serious way. I want to see God move in a special way. But what I know from the scriptures is there's got to be the preaching and receiving of the word of God. You've got to go through Nehemiah chapter 1. And if you want to get to Nehemiah chapter 8, there's going to be some work that's involved. So everybody, let's get on board. Let's do it. Let's be a part of something that's eternal, something that's bigger than us, something that's bigger than the next ball game that I play in or the uh, next paycheck that I get from work. See how valuable it is? Let's talk to the Lord about it. Father, we need your help in this. I pray that you'd please, you would be, please convince us of the importance of this and the eternality of it and how we can be a part of it. Now, Lord, do the work in the hearts of people that only you can do, please. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I ask. Just quickly before we're dismissed, let me just ask a couple of questions. Number one, I wonder how many tonight would say, Brother Tim, while you were preaching, God showed me the importance and value of preaching, and he showed me a way, though I, I don't like to say it this way, he showed me a way that I have devalued it, and I want to see Nehemiah 8 services take place, and uh, in my life, there's something that needs to change in order for preaching to have a more powerful impact in, in my life, and I see the importance of it. I need to at least think through it. Um, if I'm not ready to fully commit to a certain action, I need to think through it, and I'm, I'm going to if God will help me. If that's true for you, would you, sleep, would you slip up your hand and let me pray um, with you and for you? Because it's an important decision, and sometimes it involves a little bit of that self-sacrifice that we talked about last night. Okay, second question, and really this is the heartbeat of the message. I wonder how many tonight would say, Brother Tim, I see the importance of Nehemiah 8 services, and I also see how necessary Nehemiah chapter 1 is. Let me stop. Please don't raise your hand just because you think it's a good thing to raise your hand for. But if sincerely God's dealt in your heart about becoming someone who prays consistently for God to do something special in the church to which you belong, and you're ready at this point to commit yourself to praying on a regular basis and perhaps even taking time to fast um, on certain meals or certain days to talk to the Lord about this and to do it for as long as is necessary, And that's what you're willing to commit yourself to so that we can see Nehemiah 8 services take place. May I I count you, see your hand so that I can pray with you about this very important decision. Anybody tonight say, the Lord's dealt in my heart. I see the importance of it. And God being my help, I'm going to commit to this to the best of my ability. I'm going to pray consistently for God to do a special work. Would you just slip up your hand and hold it up just for a moment. And, And let me just real quick, one, two, three. I think I see about 13 or 14 hands um, spread out amongst all three churches. And so um, I'm telling you, I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered in the heart of man the things which God has for those that seek him like this. I, great things can come. And then lastly, how about being involved in the work? For the Tim, I need to be getting involved in the ministry, a part of what is going on and the work that needs to be done. I need to be involved in it, and that's my decision. I know it needs to happen. Here's my hand. I've not been, but I need to. Here's my hand. Please pray for me. Anybody like that tonight? Okay. All right. Let's talk to the Lord about it. And while I'm praying, right where you sit, would you talk to the Lord? Father, please hear the prayers of your children as I lift them up before you now. And then, God, in the future, as many of these people have committed themselves to talking to you, and perhaps even, this is between them and you, perhaps even setting aside fasting from some things, media or food or whatever, in order to give themselves a little more fully, to this matter of talking to you as we seek to see Nehemiah 8 services take place where you move in. Dear God, in this future, would you please hear their requests and answer speedily. Help us to be faithful to that which you've called us to for those who need to be involved in the work, for those who need to make decisions regarding hearing your word, 
Dear God, hear the request. Give them the help they need, please. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask. If you're physically able, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're physically able, would you mind standing with me? As we stand, we're just going to have two stanzas of an invitation hymn, just enough time for you to talk to the Lord about whatever he's dealt with you about and seal it with the Lord. And as the pianist begins to play, then as God's dealt in your heart, then you talk to him about it. You're welcome to come to the front if you'd like to. Turn and kneel where you are or just bow your heart and your head right where you stand and talk to the Lord. But do business with God before you leave, won't you please? tonight say amen could we do this maybe before just uh, I would like for my wife and I to do this before going to bed tonight maybe what how am I going to respond to what I've heard tonight maybe we could chat about it if you and your spouse are here or you could if your spouse is working not able to be here maybe you could share it with them and maybe before going to bed tonight not wait till tomorrow maybe tonight pray pray uh, special prayer for the service tomorrow night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And how about work? How many of us know of somebody maybe that's not here tonight? Or maybe maybe just a phone call, a visit, a walk across the street tomorrow could get someone out to the service over the next three nights. And would that be a good practical way to put to work and do what we've done tonight? So before we go to sleep tonight, let's Talk to someone or just, if you're here by yourself and you live by yourself, just go home, think about what we heard, pray for these services, and let's all, you know, invite at least one. That's pretty practical, isn't it? I mean, I think I could contact at least one person between now and tomorrow night and invite them to come and hear the Word of God. Good night. God bless you. Be careful going home. Be sure and look at those tables out there before you leave. Mm -hmm.